together today, receive these words of scripture from the gospel according to John, chapter 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, Jesus spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So then the man went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but someone like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and he spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and I received my sight. Then they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the man to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. So the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. 
He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man answered, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and now you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Now Jesus had heard that they drove him out. And when he found the man, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees nearby heard him say this and said to him, well, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Pray with me. Holy, holy, holy. We want to see you. Amen. You've been reading the book that accompanies this series. You might have come to the place where she talks about an article in the National Geographic that talks about how darkness is essential to our physical well-being as much as light is. Our circadian rhythm, for those of us who struggle quieting our brains at night, I, do, I know I do, melatonin is my friend. <laughs> to try to work in the natural light and day, kind of night and day rhythms of sleeping. 
And when those get interrupted, right, how you, you feel it in your body and you feel it in your relationships. If you've ever worked a third shift or a, what they call a graveyard shift, you know what that means. Well, in fact, when it comes to our quest to improve ourselves and sometimes in the name of progress, we continue to light up the night sky. And those creatures who share this wonderful planet with us, their pupils shrink every time we turn on more lights. In fact, the New York Times had an article about, you know, the beams for the anniversary of 9-11, the beams of light in the World Trade Center, memorializing the Twin Towers. Those beams of light actually were endangering a migration pattern of birds, and over 160,000 birds were crashing into buildings and crashing into each other because they could not see because of our light. So what do we lose in our mission to light up the night sky? In our endeavor to make sure that we see all that there is to see, what do we not see? If everything is now virtual and visual and you can take immersion visual, I mean, you can put those things on, right? That the kids have. I bought some for, for my daughter, Willow, maybe four, three years ago. And um, we took one of those trips. Yeah, like you go to, to Italy. I, you, I mean, it really does feel like you're there, right? But I'm thinking about what do you lose? I mean, the great books that we've come to read, that half of them now are banned. It's a whole other sermon. Um, yeah, the great books that we've come to read where the, where the authors describe so vividly with their words so that our mind's eye can see. In this passage, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light, will have the light of life. Now we've been focusing on darkness over this series, but I think it's important to define the context that the word darkness finds itself in this gospel reading. Remember that a text out of context is a pretext. And the context of this text is originally in the Aramaic. Biblical scholars would have, in Jesus' day at least, would have spoken the language of Hebrew. But Jesus spoke in Aramaic, which was the language of every day. So these stories that we read in the gospel were not written down originally, right? 
They were oral traditions, oral stories that came, and they would have heard them first in Aramaic. So it's interesting to me that we read, remember I told you all to read the scripture against the grain? This is one of them. So it's interesting that the Bible's first translation of the oral tradition of Aramaic ends up being what? In the language of empire. How does that change the way we read scripture? Now, the Hebrew word for light is or, O-R. And it expresses a connection between the natural and the supernatural. Your connection of God and, and, and the human beings through what the Holy Spirit is called the Ruah of God. Now, the Aramaic word has the Hebrew word embedded in it, of or, but the Aramaic is nora. And it expresses the same thing, but goes a little step further. It talks about light as wisdom or knowledge or Sophia in Greek of God. Now, the word for world is more than the planet. In Greek, it's cosmos. Have you heard the word cosmology? The word means to uh, uh, an arrangement, the order of the world, how you and I see the order of the world. And here's the thing, if the order of the world is brought to you by those who are in power, that just might change the way you see the world. So, I wonder if we could read it this way, that John passage. I am, Jesus says, I am the knowledge or wisdom, Sophia, of God, in all the cosmos and order of things. Whoever follows me will not walk in ignorance, which is the word in Aramaic for darkness, or lack of knowledge, but will have the wisdom and knowledge of life. What if Jesus is talking about the order of things and the vision of the order of the world by those who are in power? What if Jesus is saying, it's time to have an eye exam? Tell me what you see, how you see it, how you order your life by it the systems around us, the order of things around us, including the religious order around us, would like to make us think that we are walking around and bumping in the dark. In fact, 
they would like to make us believe that there is only one way of seeing. But I believe that there is a need for us to enter the uncertainty of the dark to discover who we truly are and who God is. That's been my experience. I grew up in a Christian home, very religious home. My parents were church planters and missionaries, so church life was always a part of my life, and I'm grateful for it. But there came a moment in my life where I, it just didn't match up some of the things that I was hearing with my experiences of life, because experiences can shape our cosmology. Experiences can change who we, who, how and how we look at God. Um, so they were faithful, but they believed that when bad things happen to you, there can only be two explanations, at least the ones that were given to me. One, you had failed God. Or the other one, you were being tested by God to see if you were a true disciple. Never did I ever hear, you know what? Life happens. <laughs> Life happens to all of us, to the best of us, to those who pray and those who don't, to those who come to church and those who don't, those who sing and those who don't. Life happens. You're not special. <laughs> At least that's not what makes you special. So as a kid, when I saw bad things happening around me, I understood it as a sign of God that someone, mainly me, was doing something wrong. In fact, you know, we grew up in, in I grew up in a church that believed, you know, the rapture <laughs> was coming. Boy, they took me to see that movie, A Thief in the Night. Back in the day, that's an old one, Thief in the Night. Some of you are laughing because it's true. You saw it too. And it scared the heck out of me. And I remember at night, I used to, because I struggled. I'm like Augustine, you know, God make me perfect, but not yet. <laughs> I struggled, right? I knew I, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't sneak out to that party, but I did. And then I would come back, you know, and ask for forgiveness. Oh, God, tell me, if you come tonight, please take me with you. You know, all that stuff. <laughs> in the bathroom. I remember the first time I had my drink, well, drink in, the, in a party, you know, and I, I swear, I got so sick, and then in the bathroom, I know, God, this is you punishing me, and uh, it was a whole thing. But there was also trauma involved in that, so much so that at night, I couldn't sleep because I wanted to make sure my mom was breathing. Because if she was breathing, the rapture hadn't happened yet. Yeah, I had to take a walk in the dark. I had to give up the things that I thought I knew or had been given to me. A God that was presented to me. I needed to lose that God in order to find God. I needed to find my, 
my way. I needed to find a process. And in that step of stepping into the darkness and daring to go there, in the process, not only did I find God, but I found myself. Now, Jesus' answer to the disciples doesn't sound so good, or maybe we have been reading it wrong, again, against the grain. Jesus says, neither this man is blind to manifest the glory of God. This is not an argument for redemptive suffering. If you have been told, I know I was, if you have been told that the more you suffer, the closer it is you get to God. The more you go through things, the more you are worthy, made worthy. Well, this is not about oppression Olympics. As if somehow we're proving that we have suffered the most in life and that just might make us more righteous and more credible and more worthy and more acceptable before God. Every time that Jesus talks about God's glory in the Gospels, he does so about uh, talking about God's glory embodied in him, embodied in the flesh, in visual ways, in, in feel ways that you and I can engage in, in fact, he not only talks about God's glory in him, but God's glory in every one of us. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is what? It's in you. It's in me. In other words, Jesus was saying, this man is the incarnation of God's glory. Not that he will be when he is made to see, but that in his apparent darkness, he already is God's glory manifested. Now, let's be honest with the passage. Let's engage John, right? This is a gross miracle. It's gross. Come on. Look, be honest, it is. Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud and then puts it on the, be like, yeah, thanks. I'll pass. Or, you know, but there's, there's a reason why Jesus does this. Like Jesus, there's a reason for every miracle or every aspect that Jesus does. One is that kneading, the process of making clay, you know, that spitting on the ground and making clay, it's one of the 39 things you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. He probably could have waited one more day, but that wasn't the point. Secondly, in Greek, the verb epikrisen means anoint. Now, in English, we read the scripture, we heard the scripture, he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. But in the Greek, it says, he anoints the mud on the eyes of the blind man. Hmm. 
I think that this miracle is not about making anyone or this person more special than others. It's not about how God plays favorites. This is God taking the ordinary, everyday, messy, even the gross things in life and turning them around to help us see. It's not that God causes them, but God can certainly use them. It wasn't that the blind man somehow became more holy or super holy. It wasn't about his ability. It was about his availability to God. He was so available to Jesus, so open into leaning to what he didn't understand that when Jesus asked him to go clean in the pool of Siloam, he did. Now, Remember, when the man receives the mud on his eyes, he's what? He's blind, apparently. He's blind. Would any one of us been so willing to receive mud in our eyes if we could see? The miracle happened because he walked to the pool without seeing. But he could see the gift of God in front of him. I know that this congregation is working on visioning, visioning ways that we can bring more people into this amazing and wonderful community visioning ways that we can increase and and grow and find new ways of entering into ministry. Well, vision requires us to see what we can't see, to ask the hard questions about our apparent sight and how others perceive us. Are we sure that the community around us sees us the way we see ourselves? What part of the community actually sees us? What haven't we seen in the community? And how can we adjust our eyes to better see in the dark? I've learned that this losing God to find God thing, for me, it's a daily practice. Every day I ask God to help me get rid of what I think I know about God so that I can take a walk in the dark with God's spirit so that my eyes can be adjusted. Now, when you walk like this, you're going to discover that some people will not see what you see. I mean, listen, the rest of the chapter is about people who couldn't see, not even the man who got who was healed. I mean, he had to like argue over and over. It's me, y'all. I'm the, it's me. But they couldn't see it because what? They only saw him one particular way. If that don't speak to the church, I don't know what does. We're talking about opening these doors and we're talking about creating new ways. We gotta see some things different now. We're gonna have to 
be willing to dare ourselves to enter into that space where it's uncomfortable even to see what other people see. In the end of the, at the end of the time, I think it's hilarious that this man at the end says, I don't know, listen, I don't know everything that you guys are talking about, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Now isn't it interesting that because he did not denounce Jesus as a sinner, he ended up being exiled out of the community like that's never happened before in the history of the church. I think it's okay to say, God, I don't know. I don't know, I I can't explain this. I can't explain who it is that you love or how we move into the future and or or everything how everything will work out. I don't know. All I know is that once I was blind in my certainty, but now I see. Once I was blind by my biases and my racism. Once I was blinded by my hate and anger. Once I was unable to see myself and others in the image of God. Once I was blinded by all the things I could see, but someone, someone touched me. Someone put anointed mud on my eyes. Someone sent me to wash in the pool of Siloam. Someone gave me fresh water and all that I knew was washed away. And now I take some walks in the dark to walk with Jesus so that I can see. I can see clearly. Once I was blind. Oh, but now I see. Glory to God.